previously on the Sports Refuge podcast. It's difficult because people, they always say it's, you know, they always say, oh, it's a white boy sport. Oh, it's Latino boy sport. And I'm like, well, black people play too. And it, it is difficult. From Delaware, almost live. This is a Sports Refuge podcast. This is the weekly podcast featuring interviews with guests discussing their connection to sports. And now, here's your host, Earl Holland. You're listening to episode 65 of the Sports Refuge, the weekly show where guests discuss their connection with sports. I'm your host, Earl Holland. The first time my nephew, Chaudre Johnson, appeared on the podcast was during my Holiday Leftovers episode late in 2018, where he talked about the NBA, his beloved Red Sox, and the shocking retirement of Andrew Luck. In this episode, Chaudry's back again as he discusses his time as a three-sport athlete in high school, more talk about the NBA, notably his Lakers, and much more. And now, here's my interview with Chaudry Johnson. With me, my guest, someone who's been a part of the family for 22 <laughs> years, he is my firstborn nephew, Chaudry Johnson. He is here. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about him being a three-sport athlete in high school, as well as how he became a fan of teams like the Red Sox the Lakers, and of course, for most uh, sports fans in Maryland, will be wondering why you are a fan of the Colts. <laughs> you know, the big thing about this is I'm glad to have you on because the different types of guests that we've had on so far, they've had uh, different experiences, uh, you know, either sports fans, big uh, playing yeah. sports or sometimes the people I've played against on Sports Jeopardy and, and just having the vast array of guests that you can have. Uh, that's great to have you on here, and I, I'm glad that you're able to be a part of this show because uh, we did one Thanksgiving episode a while back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did, uh, we did a, an episode a while back, and you know we were just talking about you know whatever just because it was Thanksgiving, and it's always the time for yeah. people to get together for the holidays. And I think that's the cool thing about doing those types of episodes. You get to see everybody, especially we're living up here in Delaware. You guys are down in Maryland, and which depending on how far you go, whether it's Salisbury, for some of you locals who are listening to the show, all the way down to Newark, Maryland, near Ocean City, because most of the times you tell anybody where you're from on the Eastern Shore, they don't know where you're from unless you say, oh, we're near Ocean City. Oh, near Ocean City, yeah. Let's start off with this. You are an Indianapolis Colts <laughs> fan living in Maryland. Mm-hmm. Boston Red Sox fan living in Maryland. Lakers fan, I think everybody can understand because I feel like I can't go anywhere without hearing people who are Lakers fans. But how did you become a yeah. Colts fan? Okay, so uh, a Colts fan growing up, dad's a huge Ravens fan, a huge fan. But I just I did not want to be a Ravens fan. And I really didn't understand football at that time. So I was just kind of just a Ravens fan because my dad was a Ravens fan. But as I got older, I started to understand the game. I just fell in love with uh, Peyton Manning, Marvin Harrison, and uh, Reggie Wayne. Those were my top three guys. And if I see growing up watching football, as I learned it, of course, the Colts were very dominant back then. So watching them play starting off was very easy to watch football. A lot of winning going on, but ran to Tom Brady a lot. But yeah, definitely being a Colts fan uh, growing up, just can't really pick a team. Just watching Peyton Manning at first, that's what really caught my eye to the Colts. And then just watching the team throughout the years and all the trades and everything, I have faithfully stuck with my Colts. But yeah, that's really how I became a Colts fan. It wasn't it wasn't anything too crazy, just 
Peyton Man, it really just caught my attention. It was obviously great player, MB, MVP caliber. So a lot of good games, especially between the Ravens and the Colts. Always good game. So we initially talked about it in a previous episode when Andrew Luck announced his retirement. What were you thinking <laughs> when that happened? And what were your expectations going to that season, especially when they made the trade for Brissett? So uh, my expectations were 50-50. I was not expecting a spectacular season, but I was expecting at least to go 10-6, and six, which I felt like we were on a good path, honestly, until that injury. Then for some reason we have Brian Hoyer as a backup quarterback, which I – did not think it was a good move. And I mean, it showed loss took it actually took a hard loss to the Dolphins and things just kind of went downhill there. But, um, I'm kind of skeptical with Phillip Rivers. I mean, he's a gunslinger by I me. Mean, we have, we have some good pieces, but still nervous. And then, um, with Andrew Luck, I was very upset. I was very upset about that. And then, um, I was really surprised that, uh, we gave him $30 million even after he left. Cause I was thinking, it may have been a bad investment, especially going for a quarterback that uh, we don't have one. So just to give up $30 million, that's not easy, especially when we have a whole bunch of pieces that we need to fill in that lineup. When you look at it, all the injuries he's had and banged up a lot and taking forever oh, yeah. on the shoulder injury. I mean, you have to look at it from his perspective. He's already made tons and tons of money. He oh, yeah, yeah. fairly young and he doesn't need another dollar to put himself at risk. Yeah, and that's the thing I do respect that about the Colts for him giving them that money. I mean, if you think about all the years, I mean, while he was there with us, gave us great production, and we tried to build a defense for him, but gave a lot of way, gave away a lot of offensive linemen. And oh man, after they started getting crushed, it was it was awful. So I understand why they gave him thirty million, and I mean, he's also. He's fine with not playing football. I mean, he, he does so much stuff around around community, and he's also very smart with his money. So it's not going to be a guy you really hear about in like five, ten years. He's bro. He's 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 fine. <laughs> and you've been a Red Sox fan for who knows how long. How yes, did yes. you become a Red Sox fan again? Living in Maryland, among a bunch of Orioles fans, and going to and tons of, of Orioles games—it's crazy. Yeah, and tons of Yankees fans are in it because you know the Yankees fans are probably just as equal as bandwagoners mm-hmm. around here as you would see like uh, fans of other teams, which shall not be named in the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, so the Red Sox, like I said, um, when I. Actually started first playing baseball because I I about to say we start me and my cousin uh, Loran we started off playing uh, baseball with a tennis ball and a thirty two twenty nine I was a bat mind you I'm only playing I'm not even in little league yet but that's the type of size bat that we were we were using growing up so then just over time just started playing little league I didn't know really anything about the game my cousin just kept telling my aunt to put me in little league so i started growing up it's actually funny because my first team we played on were the orioles so growing up like that's the first time i really started looking up but then the next year i played in little league became the red sox and that's when i looked them up and i seen david ortiz started looking up started watching baseball more started watching that whole team and that's really when i started becoming a real big baseball fan just throughout the years. Manny Ramirez, all those guys, Johnny Damon, Kevin Euclid, all I could keep going on. But yeah, it was 
it was it was real got good teams and especially growing up and I didn't really think of it at the time because I didn't know so much about the rivalry between the Yankees and then how the Orioles and all that stuff. So once I got older and I started learning about it, I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm in a crazy situation living right in Maryland <laughs> and then being a big Red Sox fan. But yeah, especially in school, I, I've been a lot of a lot of kids are like, are you serious? You're a Red Sox fan, and then back to the Colts like you're kidding me like you used to we used to be Baltimore <laughs> so especially over the years I I took a I heard a lot but it wasn't bad but yeah definitely definitely do not regret being a Red Sox fan at all <laughs> I mean you got the reap the benefits of being a Red Sox fan you weren't a bandwagoner I mean you've been a fan for so long you've seen what at least three or four World Series titles I feel like I'm oh yeah fan. yeah I've I've seen a lot of crazy trades that I thought were not good trades. Same same with the Colts. I mean, especially that one year when Peyton Manning left. That was a rough year. Especially, I mean, I've seen a lot of people flip flop instantly once Peyton Manning left. But uh, I toughed it out, and then Andrew Luck came, and I mean, we started to see a lot of positive years. I mean, even though we didn't we didn't reach any Super Bowls. I mean, you look at a lot of seasons. We had a lot of real good seasons, so I can't complain. One of the big things that I was thinking about, I feel like the Colts, when it comes to building for their future, they sometimes fail to plan, especially what happens if their quarterback goes down. All you can look at is yes. what happened the year that Peyton Manning went down before they released him and picked up Andrew Luck. And then you look at this year with Andrew Luck. I feel like they failed the plan, and what happens is when you build an offense around a quarterback, bad things happen when that quarterback gets hurt. That is so true. That is very true because it shows even the years when Andrew Luck got hurt. I mean, some of those years we went through four, some three to four quarterbacks. And I mean, we still managed to, to push out a winning record, but it still shows how the offense is nowhere near. Can, they barely can can even keep up when Andrew Luck was out the lineup. So, yeah, I definitely agree where you see some lineups that the guys that will Patriots are a good example. Tom Brady's hurt or something. Everything's still moving fluent, but it's like when when we lose our quarterback, it's offense becomes really, really patchy, and it's a lot of bad things start happening. It's happened over the years. Once Andrew Luck's gotten hurt, you see that our record slowly goes down. And the same thing happened with Peyton when he got hurt. They went through what? Kerry Collins, uh, <laughs> uh, Curtis feel, Painter. Curtis oh my Painter, god! Uh, I feel like. You know, even though Charlie Whitehurst wasn't on that team, I just want to throw him in there. He's probably one of those <laughs> guys who are back up and are like, why are these guys yeah. here? Why are they playing? Jim Sorge used to be the backup for uh, Peyton Manning all the time. He was like, yeah. the guy would never get in. And then the year that Peyton gets hurt, he got hurt too. And you got to wonder, yeah. man, their backup plan to their backup plan to their backup plan got hurt. And then we're ineffective. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, then they lucked out, no pun intended, getting – getting the number one pick and getting their future quarterback. Yeah. I definitely feel like those that uh, that year after Peyton left, I definitely felt like it was a tank season. $1 million on Kerry Collins. And, I mean, he was well out of his prime. I was like, this definitely feels like a tank year. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I remember at the end of the season, they were talking about um, whether the Colts should tank the last game because they were, they were going on about that one and two pick about uh, RG3. Yeah, thankfully, I guess the Rams were sucky enough to get that number two pick because I think the Rams probably would have ruined Andrew Luck too, just like they ruined Sam Bradford, just like they almost yeah. ruined golf. And that's yeah, just yeah, Jeff yeah. Fisher. Jeff Fisher is not a good quarterback. A good court, yeah, 
When it comes to quarterbacks, Jeff Fisher did not know how to get the best out of him. Look at what happened with Vince Young. Vince Young was probably ruined because Jeff Fisher didn't care and didn't really put the right staff in place to get the most out of Vince Young in Tennessee. Yeah. I definitely agree. I, yeah, Vince, man, I definitely remember. I don't. I remember some of those years. But I was still, I was still younger, but I definitely do remember the Vince Young era when he came in. There was a lot of, lot of hype to Vince Young and everything. And stats aren't bad, but yeah, like I say, uh, it's definitely all about having a good coach. I mean, I feel like a lot of people. You got a lot of great players, but it obviously shows if you don't have the right coach, then you're not gonna go that far. I mean, it's rare. Some, I mean, you have some guys who. We can still even with a with a semi defense coach they can do it, but I just don't feel like just any ordinary superstar would be able to accomplish it without a good uh, coach. Yeah, and I think especially right now a lot of these coaches are focusing on building offenses to help a quarterback <laughs> thrive, especially if they're trying to adjust to the NFL. Like uh, I. I saw it firsthand with Dwayne Haskins. The offense that Jay Gruden was using was horrible, and it takes a lot of complicated (laughs) concepts and stuff that a lot of guys have to learn. And when you basically – it can be said either Haskins didn't work hard or Mm -hmm. he said that Gruden wasn't going to give him a chance anyway. But that's a very complicated offense, and how do you expect somebody to learn an offense like that? You build an offense around a guy like how they did with RG3, how they build that offense like Russell Wilson, how they built the offense for him. But you just sort of think, man, what is it that a coach needs to do to help get the most out of their quarterback? I mean, you can look at it around around the NFL. Most teams, they're going to put their quarterback in a position to succeed. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like also, as I say, first thing I feel like if you're gonna be a coach, if you're gonna like be helping the quarterback, you gotta know his strong suits. Just I feel like that's another thing with um, with uh, the Ravens. I love. I mean, I'm a Colts fan, but I love Lamar Jackson's play style. But I feel like sometimes it's too many running plays. I'm about to say the guy you don't want to hurt the guy. I mean, he's young. And some of those plays, I mean, I'll say they're they're good plays, but at a certain time, people are gonna start adjusting the plays start start reacting to ways they weren't reacting the year before. And I feel that's another thing with RG three when he got hit with um when he got a couple couple hits by those uh defensive tackles. I mean that the year before they weren't aware for it, but now they're they're ready for it. But I think the other thing is that knee injury and I've talked about that so many yeah. times how uh, coaches should have been fired as a result that you don't spend that many picks on a guy and then I would have. I just know where you would have played that playoff game. Especially, even I mean, if you're up, you're up two touchdowns, and if you feel so confident that Kirk Cousins can get you through the rest of the game, or you felt like he's going to be an NFL quarterback, why didn't you just put RG three on the bench and so he didn't get hurt, and then let Cousins work his way through? And but then again, that just proves, and I'm going to keep going back on this until he ever wins the Super Bowl. Kyle Shanahan thinks he's smarter than everybody. Mm-hmm. He's lost two Super Bowls, two Super Bowls. <laughs> And especially you are pinned to first the most memorable comeback in Super Bowl history. And then you see how the Niners were up in that Super Bowl. And it seems like that Shanahan got scared in play calling or thought he was smart enough to hold Kansas City on uh, offense and try to limit their play. You had one of your guys for 200 yards in the NFC Championship game and he barely tested the ball until the second quarter. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. They were a whole completely different team that second half. I don't, I don't know what happened. I was expecting them to really come out and just step on their necks and just, just everyone knows you can't leave. You can't let Kansas City stay in the game. I mean, they obviously they did it two times in a row, 
the weeks before the Super Bowl, literally just came back while being down. So for you not to just keep putting the the foot on them, I knew it was going to happen after. Like when I was watching third quarter, I was like, oh yeah, I was like they don't even look like the same team from the first half. Defense got gassed because mm-hmm. they weren't running plays. They didn't give Samuel the ball enough. They didn't give Mostert the ball enough. You shouldn't have to pin that all on uh, Jimmy G. And until Kyle Shanahan shows that he can win the big game, he's just like another line of all them young coaches that have uh, have all these credentials, like McVay, too, because that was a horrible performance in the Super Bowl last year, too. Yeah, you know, Young coaches, yeah. I love the fact that they can motivate their players and get them to play, run through a wall for them, but apparently you can't coach scared in a, in a Super Bowl, and that yeah. shown two years in a row. I mean, again, and I know living up here in Philadelphia territory, some people were happy to see Andy Reid get his ring, but other people, it's like, oh, yeah, it's yeah, like well, being the married guy I, who's still jealous of the ex who screwed you over. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I don't, yeah, that's a tough one. I, but you know, I feel like a lot of Philly fans, they weren't as as upset because they won. But I feel like if Andy Reid had won and they didn't, they never won the Super Bowl. I feel like it would have been a lot more hate towards Andy Reid. Oh yeah, I think had it happened a year earlier or two years before mm-hmm. the Eagles oh. won. Yeah, they mad. I mean, I hear it on Sports Talk Radio, even though I don't listen to it like that anymore. I, I basically yeah. tuned it out because I, I just can't deal with it. It's not the negativity. It's just they're so irritating and grating. And that's a lot of Sports Talk Radio everywhere. It's not just in a particular region. It's not just mm-hmm. Philadelphia. It can be Baltimore. It can be Washington. It can be New York, of course. And I know a lot of people out there probably listening can probably agree about that. But I just think sometimes sports talk radio is just so irritating, especially what are they talking about now that there are no sports going on? What have you been doing without sports? And I know that while those are small things, while other people are trying to find ways to make sure they get their bills paid and their next meal and things like that, but sports is supposed to be a distraction. How can you have a distraction if there is no distraction to distract you? And I know that's saying distraction a lot, but what can you do? I mean, I've heard people talk about Tiger King, but you can only do Tiger King with so much, I guess. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so, um, especially with no sports, sports is obviously a big part of my day. When I wake up, I watch first take and I watch a lot of different stuff, but without sports, I have, um, I watched a lot of highlights too. Um, I've looked at a little bit. I watched some classics. Um, it's on YouTube. It's a whole bunch of like um, they'll have like greatest comebacks. They'll rank like greatest comebacks, greatest teams of the nineties, two thousands, or they have like biggest chokes. So I mean, I, even though I'm not really watching any live sports, I'm still watching a lot of older sports. I go back watch some Kobe highlights, some LeBron highlights. I go back look at old games. So I just still try to stay busy. Just um still watching older games, hopefully looking for some games that I've never watched because I know it's a ton of games out there, especially older games. I try to watch like some some Jordan versus some of his prime players. I watched uh, the other day I was watching um, Utah versus um, the Bulls. Uh, watched a couple of games other than those series. See, I just, even though I'm not really watching a lot of sports, I definitely, definitely still watch a lot of sports still. It's funny, a lot of older stuff is on TV and I feel like there's always the discussions about <laughs> You know, the discussions coming between LeBron and Jordan. Everybody talks about it. Now that these games, these older games are on, and then you get to see this Bulls uh, documentary. Yeah. Do you feel like, and you were born really near the tail end of the Bulls' second run. 
and mm-hmm. all you got is maybe old archive stuff, maybe now YouTube because I mean you can find any sporting event, old sporting event most of the times on YouTube. Oh yeah. But being able to watch those things, what is your take on the player Michael Jordan was? Especially, like I said, you didn't get to watch him firsthand. Yeah. Um, so uh, as far as Michael Jordan, I, I think I still think he's the greatest player of all time. Um, I've went back and I've watched a lot of games. I mean, I know it's a lot of games I still haven't seen. But and if you still look at his stats and especially the physicality back then and that day, his stats are crazy from the moment he even stepped in the league. And don't get me wrong, LeBron's stats is uh they're they're crazy, but I also feel with LeBron when you're six eight and then some years you're two eighty five. It's a big difference. You can muscle it. I mean, LeBron, he – I feel like he definitely has a lot. I mean, as far as passing and IQ and that, that's, that's phenomenal. But I mean, I also feel like he muscles his way in, I mean, for a lot of buckets. And with Jordan, Jordan was a lot more craftier shots. And also, a lot of people, I feel like they forget this man – is a great defender playing defense up and down the court going against physical guys who would hit you with an elbow in your face and wouldn't even really get a technical you just go play where now you get bummed you can't even it's automatic technical you can't hit anyone with an elbow like that and get away with it so i definitely feel like physicality is a big factor because i feel like it's a lot of guys in this era who wouldn't be able to play in the older era, and I feel like it's a lot of guys in the older era who would excel if they were actually in this era. Because I feel like this is one of the most watered-down eras in basketball. I mean, it's soft. They don't call travels right. They miss calls. I mean, it's it's I've never like it's so easy to, to for people to score thirty. Your bench player can come off the bench and score thirty just like that. And I mean, I remember a fight at least in two thousand. 10, you just wouldn't get a random guy just coming off the bench and just scoring 30 and then scoring 30 again. It was a lot of star plays, but I just feel like now with the league just being a shoot first league, anyone can come off the bench and, and give you 20 because you're going to have open threes. It's not it's not mid-range. It's not really post. I feel like the big men, you have some, but I feel like even Jordan B, the guys who really should be in the post, really just muscling guys. They settle for a lot of long twos, threes, because just how it's so enforced on that three ball now just really just changed the league. You know, and I always think, have you gotten a chance to watch a lot of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Wilt Chamberlain or things like that? I feel like... I've actually been watching lately, and it's crazy. Some of the battles, like, it's wild. And, you know, you look at guys like Shaq, and there's no offense against Shaq. I I like Shaq. I feel like Shaq didn't have that one guy that he always had would battle against he you know not yeah, like was yeah Russell that's versus true Wilt or wilt versus kareem or uh-huh. magic versus bird or jordan versus you know the pistons or barkley or malone i feel uh-huh. like there hasn't been that adversary i mean the only adversary you really think about has been his own teammate and it was always him and kobe and i feel like yeah. you watch those guys like Kareem and Will, what's the biggest thing that you were able to take out of those battles, watching those battles? So the battles when I watched, it was uh, Kareem was the young guy. And this was kind of towards right before Kareem would become the guy because Will was still hanging in. But um, the thing I took about, man, it's especially it's a lot. They got a lot of heart, real physical, too. And the thing is, they weren't afraid to to battle with each other. Like I watched, they literally just dunking on top of each other, just 
muscling each other and dunking. That's the thing. I was like, now people, they're scared to get dunked on. They'll move out the way when someone's about to dunk. Now they firsthand just step right in. Sometimes they block it. I mean, Kareem's uh, skyhook, I'm about to say that, like, that was that was crazy, especially being being the young guy and you coming out with a skyhook. Like, that's it's ridiculous. And um, But Will, I might say, Will, he still muscles out even being that age. Like if you watch, I watched over just over the games. He still muscled out being that old. He still had the heart, and I think that that one year I was watching, I think uh, Wilt actually they beat the Bucks that year. So uh, yeah, I'm gonna say it's you don't really see that. You don't really see it any anymore in this area where you just watch two guys like that just muscle it out, just dunk on someone. This guy just comes right back, muscles it, dunk on him, and it's and it's normal. And you really hear about the legends of of how strong Wilt Chamberlain was and all that stuff. I mean, obviously, I'm, I wasn't in that era. So, like, just to imagine hearing that stuff as a kid back then, like, pretty sure it's crazy. But, yeah, it's just crazy matchups. But it's fun to watch. I must say, going back and looking at those old those old matchups. And Wilt was a track star in high school, and he held some track and field records. I think he had, like, a long jump records and things like that and did some, like, yeah. jump records. I mean, he was a very athletic guy. Especially for someone his size, I think yeah he would be a guy that could easily play in this era. I mean he, he oh yeah for sure. I, I mean imagine Boogie Cousins with somebody who's like got a lot of swiftness and quickness. Yeah, it's crazy. He's a big guy, and the thing is, I just feel like a lot of people when you're that dominant, I feel like you don't have to change the game because if you're that dominant in the post, you're going to create people who double team you, then there are open shots. So I feel like for people trying to say that Will Kareem and those guys wouldn't make in this air, I obviously feel like it's a lot because their game, let alone, would automatically impact the whole game. I honestly think who anybody who thinks Wilton Kareem couldn't make in this era, I think they really need to be tested for some type of disease or some type of sickness. <laughs> Or some type of addiction to something, too many pills popping or whatever, Mm -hmm. because they could play. And, yeah, the problem is now that the game has become more of a three-point shooting game, and I think those guys would bully those guys. And even... I was just looking oh, yeah. up Will Chamberlain. And in the set. way you can't touch people. Oh, yeah. They, Will scored, what, average 48 in a season one year? <laughs> yeah, imagine with these rules. He could probably average 70 if they give the ball to him. Here's the problem. You're going to have a bunch of guys, and the everybody can say it now, the NBA has become a guard-friendly league. It's, it's not for the big oh, yeah. anymore. And you give a Oscar Robinson and Kareem or Magic and Kareem, they yeah. don't even need Worthy and all those other guys. I think those two, yeah. and you can put you know some serviceable guys and serviceable wings and shooters around them, they could dominate. Oh, yeah, because just their, their driving alone is going to automatically, like, you look at James Harden, despite him shooting all those threes, when he drives, the whole the whole defense crashes. Magic and those guys, they would, it would be easy. They would eat him up. I mean, Stockton would eat him up. He wouldn't have to score. He'd oh. just find an open guy, and especially in this era where somebody's going to shoot first and ask questions later, you're just going to pass it to them and hope that they make it. Yeah. I, I don't know if you ever got a chance to watch um, some uh, Mark Price. Mark Price uh, played for the Cavs in the 80s. Oh, okay, yeah, he Mark was, Price, yeah. Yeah, apparently he was one of the first guys to start splitting the defense. So, oh, really? Yeah, I mean, yeah, and you see these people talk about how Jordan played against guys who worked in you know car shops and garages and, and, and delivered <laughs> beer and everything like that. I think 
you know, people over underestimate. There's guys out there in the NBA who are bums who are getting paid $15 million and LeBron oh, yeah. and KD and, and all those guys are schooling. Them. I feel like you're going to have bums in any generation. You're going to have guys who are not good enough in any generation. I feel like that that can happen any, any era. It doesn't matter because you still got to fill out. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And some people overvalue some players. I still couldn't believe at one point Mike Conley was getting more money than Steph Curry. Yeah, that's that's crazy. And um, the one thing that that killed me, even though Melo having those bad years, I still thought there was a roster spot for Melo because like I said, I watch games where you pay these guys ten million and they literally play ten minutes the whole year. These guys are on like five million dollar contracts for for two years and they don't even play a minute the whole year. Get moved down to the D League, up and down. Yeah, I don't get it. I mean, but hey, it happens. One thing I wanted to add, it we were talking about Will Chamberlain. This is the internet, and I don't know how much you can uh, believe, but uh, his vertical, well, he claims his vertical, is 46 to 48 inches for a guy who's 7'1". I heard that. And he ran a 4'6'40 at 280 pounds. That's crazy. That's, that's NFL tight end type uh type number yeah that's that's insane that's like some like mythical you don't hear that very often at all yeah i know and it's just crazy the and unfortunately especially with the lack of tv coverage at the time all you have is radio audio of his 100 point game and you imagine you'll never see anybody ever score 100 points even in this day and age in the nba you can have a hot night you might might get 60 and that doesn't even especially nowadays you look at Houston and their running gun offense and the high pace offenses that and they would put some of the Showtime Lakers to shame but that's just because they ran a very very fast paced stuff but I don't know yeah I feel like with Westbrook and all of them in Houston it's that's going to be a disaster that small ball line is not going to work in the playoffs <laughs> yeah especially if you end up running into the Lakers because they have a center they have a center who could really do some damage in Davis, even though he's probably a power forward right now. But they are alone. It's like when you really look at the size of the team. I think um, Caleb KCP is he's six five. Rondo he's I think the shortest person for the most of the big guys. You got Dwight and um, Javale. Like they're they're alone when you get inside the paint, and that's the one thing when you got guys that big in the paint, it's easier to play defense because you know you got guys who can help. Versus some of these guys, man, you got to you look at their line and being like, okay. But the thing is also a lot of three-point shooting leagues, so people just really focus on that three so much. Yeah, and, I, you know, that's the problem now. I feel like it's great that everybody shoots threes now. I feel like that's a big issue because it's just, I don't know, everybody's going to shoot threes when they're talking about the mid-range shots disappearing. Uh, and they feel like yeah. a lot of guys don't try to, to go into the basket like they're scared of contact, which is – you know, that's where people make their money. Yeah, it's changed basketball everywhere. I mean, all the way down to just pick up basketball. I mean, I remember five years ago, you caught the ball. It was an automatic layup. It wasn't even a question to stop and shoot a three now. I mean, I really felt like once that Golden State team, because they were really when I really started noticing how they would stop fast breaks and work and just shoot the three instead of taking the two. And where, I mean, of course, when you start playing basketball, the first thing they'll teach you is triple threat. I mean, well, like running a three-man weave, just going for that layup or maybe a mid-range shot because you'll have them face about. But just, just to have two guys on a 2-1 two, two just to stop at the three-point line and pull it, that wasn't heard of really, especially until Golden State started that splash bros era. Yeah, I feel like the fundamentals are missing as well. I, I feel like that's a huge, oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I feel like that's a huge thing. And I remember just like maybe David Blatt was trying to do the fundamentals and stuff, or I don't know if John Beeline was doing that with the Cavs. I feel like fundamentals are missed now. It's all about athleticism, which is great. But if you're fundamentally sound and athletic, you know, like, I guess Tim Duncan is perfect. Yeah, uh, let's say the Spurs, yo. Yeah, the big, the big, he's <laughs> the big fundamental, and it feels like guys like that. Those are not. You'd hope they'd be a dime a dozen, but they aren't. They're just sort of rare now. Yeah, they are, and it's crazy because uh, that whole uh, Spurs team is rare because now it's all about you want the athletic guys who are flashy and stuff. But uh, you look at that Spurs team, they were dominant for years and years. And I remember going ESPN, you would hear about them, the record was good, but I would hear about subpar, subpar teams more in the Spurs. And every year you look, they're right back in the same spot every year. And it was no one on that team who was really – overly athletic they were just all knew how to play fundamentally and it showed every year they were always in the mix and you look at some teams for example clippers for all that athleticism but when it came down to some of the fundamentals they couldn't hit those spots right but the athleticism hyped them up and then when it really came to just doing fundamentals it, it showed especially in the postseason yeah and sometimes good coaching and and being smart when it comes to uh how you play your team i mean like for example i just look at the sixers against toronto that toronto series there are a ton of mistakes there was a lot of issues that i feel like better coaching or getting a rain on some of your players that would probably help especially uh when it comes to like knowing when to use timeouts and things like that sometimes you just got to uh clear your uh players heads especially if a run comes on because you got the timeouts there you got to use them be smart with them but don't blow them all later on because you're gonna need them but you need to kill some momentum when the other team is getting on a roll Exactly. It's definitely different, man. I, when I really look back, especially just watching basketball over the years, man, it's, the league is so crazy, especially just watching how just I don't even really see post fades anymore. You don't see any of that. It's just such a straightforward three-point shooting league. Now in basketball, it's about the science. Like They look in the science. Three ball is more than the two ball. If you can hit this many more threes, the two ball won't really matter. And I think I feel like a lot of people forget you take what you got instead of just – trying to work your way to get a three you can still score but now i just feel like see guys man like records getting broken for most threes i think some guys will take it'll have like teams shoot 63s in the game combined like that's eh, crazy and i feel like those jordan teams man they get a guy they get a team who shoots 33s on them and they only hit eight. Oh, wow yeah and kerr probably hits a chunk of them anyway one of the things i wanted to discuss with you was you were a three-sport athlete in high school. You played football. You played basketball. You played baseball. Of those three, which was your favorite? I liked football, but um, definitely between basketball and baseball, especially my uh, senior year between basketball and baseball. I really couldn't choose, so I say, um, because they both became one of my favorite sports. Like I didn't. Football, I I could have done without football. I'm gonna say it was it was it, I liked it, but it wasn't anything that wasn't my favorite. But definitely baseball and basketball for sure. Now I remember from a video clip, I didn't get the chance to watch you play, but it's like when they opened up the gym at Snow Hill, the new gym, following the renovations, yeah. you had a big basket and a late playoff game to put away a win. Yeah. What was that like, especially new gym and things like that, especially having to play your games away from Snow Hill, especially at a, at a neutral facility? So uh, it was uh, it was a real good feeling because actually prior to that, um, the last game in the old gym, 
uh, me and uh, me and the coach, I well, I kind of I think I said like a cuss word or whatever. So I actually had to sit the second half of uh, that last game in the, uh, in the old gym. So I was like, okay, just at least being able to get that playoff game in the new gym because I wasn't really we weren't sure if we were even going to be able to play in the new gym. I like we knew the girls had got their seed because they were the first team to play in it because they got their game first. But we weren't really sure at the time how the seeding was going to play because we still had some weeks before. But once we found out, it was it was a good feeling, especially like the new gym. It was it was awesome. Then we had basically almost felt like all the snow hill there because we new gym. It was packed, but it was it was a crazy game, and it literally came down to OT because my boy Coop he had a um, had a he had a mid range just didn't fall in, but it was a real good look. So then we went to OT, and then I mean the crowd the atmosphere was crazy, and when my man's man he. It. I didn't really think I was going to catch it, honestly. And when I called it, I didn't throw it up too hard. I just kind of threw it up. And I mean, it went in. It was, it was a crazy feel. I mean, nothing I really ever had experienced before. How close was the game at that time? Um, we're up by one with like it's like almost like maybe like two, three seconds. It was it wasn't a lot of time left at all because we had no timeouts, so we just had to get the ball and we were kind of just trying to get it to one of the point guards. So if they fouled, go knock down the free throws. But we were also shooting really poor from the free throw line at night. So when he threw it, he kind of really didn't know where to throw it, so he threw it, and that's probably. <laughs> The fast I feel like I ever run, like I, I was like, I cannot afford to not get this ball. But yeah, it was really on the line. If I say we don't get that ball, I don't get that ball, and neither of us touch it. They get the ball right underneath their basket with around three seconds. So just me, just being able to catch that ball and throw it up. But yeah, it was, it was a great pass from Manny, honestly, because it was right there. I thought it was gonna be overthrown, but he threw it perfectly. So right off the bounce, I just caught it and put it up. It, like it was literally perfect pass. It couldn't be any perfect. <laughs> I can only imagine you're at that point where it's a fast break and like, okay, I don't want to mess this up. I want to make sure I can put this in. Don't want to shoot too strong. Was it just all in one thing? It just happened and then boom. Or did you have all that time where everything just slows down and you're just hoping that everything goes perfectly? Man, honestly, to tell you the truth, um, I had no time to think about it because, I mean, Mike, we have no time out. So the original plan is to get it to the point guards and I'm just kind of the, the guy that we really can't get it to our guards then you have to try to get this ball and that's really what it came down to I mean we couldn't find him so then he just he just had to chunk it and it just worked out in the in the right way man because it could I mean honestly just that pass is not perfect if I don't take the right amount of steps could it easily went the other team's way what would you say is your biggest part of your basketball game what can you do what do you feel like you do the best um I feel like, um, well, back then, I feel when I was in high school, I felt like I was um, good in the post, but I didn't have the height. But I was real good at mid-range. I was, I was, that was a big thing we practiced and um, and and um, practice shooting a lot of free throws and a lot of mid-range and the mid-range. Still, even when I just play pickup and stuff like that, it's still still my one of my go-to shots because just that that corner right of the right from the free throw line. Yeah, it's good. And then um, also learn how to use. The glass in mid-range shots was a huge bonus for me, especially when I started taking shots. Learning how to angle the ball to, to bounce off that backboard, even not just hitting the square, but just even using the sides to my advantage too. Talking about baseball as well, what was that experience like? I know you said baseball and basketball went one-two. Mm, baseball, man, it was baseball was it was it was great experience. Honestly, um, had had a lot of great friends. Coaches were good. I mean, I just felt like honestly, we just we just had a little bit of humps. That kind of stopped us in the way. I felt like we had great teams over the years. Honestly, I mean, 
if I could talk about some of the guys we had, I feel like definitely when I look back, I feel like we didn't exceed what we knew we could become. But it was that was great. It was it was fun. I mean, the bus trips with the team, just the warms ups, the the closed games, especially the the games playing Bennett. I mean, and Decatur. I mean, we didn't always have good games, but just being in that atmosphere, man, it was great. I mean, just looking back, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Then I had a couple of coaches at the time when I was in high school. They were like. I would cut my like my coaching basketball coach Aaron. Now he was like, I would cut my left foot off to be able to play basketball again. Like I mean, at the time when you're in high school, you don't really understand because I mean you're still playing. But once you leave, you're like, okay, I understand what he was saying. Like once it's like because once it's gone, I mean, not everyone goes to that next level. So I mean, whatever you got is what you got. While we were unable to bring the interview to a true conclusion, I'm looking forward to having Chaudre back soon. Next time, my guests will be Corey Colick, Christian Blake, and Thomas Banks, longtime friends of mine from Snow Hill High School. We'll be talking about their favorite athletes, their thoughts on the current state of R&B music, and some of the most unpopular opinions on R&B music. New episodes are available each week on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever else podcasts are heard. You can also go to the Sports Refuge website for a complete archive of episodes. Until next time, this is Earl Holland saying thanks for listening and have a good one. You've been listening to the Sports Refuge podcast. For more information about our show and our guests, go to our website at thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at The Sports Refuge, on Instagram at Sports Refuge Sports Blog, and on Facebook at The Sports Refuge Sports Blog. Thank you for listening.